lose their respect for the Lord. They stop inquiring of the Lord. And, and they take, they go to the war against the dreaded Philistines, right? And they think that, they, they use the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the glory of God, and they use it kind of like a lucky rabbit's foot. And they, and they go and they grab the Ark of the Covenant, and they say, if we have the Ark of the Covenant with us, this lucky rabbit's foot, we'll win. Well, God allows the Ark of the Covenant to get captured by the Philistines. You guys remember that story in 1 Samuel? Been reading that. And it doesn't go so well with the Philistines, if you read it, and they send it back to, I think it's Bethsha, where Be- the city, right? It's close to the Philistines. I can't remember it off the top of my head right now. It's lost. But it, but it goes to this city, and it stays there. Listen to this. It stays there for like 50 or 60 years. It stays in this city on the outskirts between Phil- the Philistines and the Hebrews. The Hebrews have it in possession, but they leave this thing that represents the glory of God out like almost in a closet and where it should go it should go in jerusalem it should go in bethlehem it should go in the city of david when david becomes a king he goes and he gets the ark of the god the the ark of the covenant and he brings the glory of god into the city of god where it should be and there's a there's a there's a there's a whole story it doesn't go so well the first time and he gets frustrated right because they're trying to carry it on a cart and you're not supposed to carry it on a cart, and, and some people get hurt real bad, some people to the point of they're not living anymore, right? And, and so he gets frustrated, he gets back in the scriptures, and he reads it. He brings this, he puts it on poles like it tells you to put it on, on. You're supposed to carry it on poles. He carries it on poles, and if you remember the story, it says they took six steps. They were afraid of this thing, right? One. Two. They get to six steps, and they put it down, and they have this huge party, and he writes Psalm 96. It's, it's, it's make a joyful noise to the Lord, because this thing, the right, the glory of God is coming to the city of God, the city of David. Psalm 98 is a pairing of it. Isaac Watts was a genius. He was a theologian and a pastor. He understood that this pairing was about the future. That Psalm 98 was about the time when the glory of God would once again come to the city of God. His name was Jesus Christ. So he writes this, he takes this Psalm 98 and he, and he, and he sees this in it. You have to understand, when, with, with Psalm 98, to the Jewish people before Christ, they understood this as a joyful expectation of the coming Messiah. There was a joyful expectation. I'll read verses 4 through 8 again. He says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. How does Isaac Watts translate that? Joy to the world. When you hear joy to the world, it's not just this random type of joy. It's a specific type of joy. He's saying, make a joyful noise, all the earth. Joy to the world means, it's a, it's a translation of of, of, of Psalm 98.4. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and singing praise. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. That's Jesus. Let the roar and all the, let, let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands 
Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the earth with righteousness and the people with equity. The Jewish people would hear this, they would sing this, and it reminded them that one day the Messiah would come and he would rule all of the earth. They believed that when the Messiah came, there would be an age, a kingdom age, when everybody would be under the rule and reign of King Messiah. With God would be the king again. And it wouldn't just be, it wouldn't just be for the Jewish people, it would be for all the nations. All the nations would be under his rule. All the nations would, would be gods. It would be one kingdom. That's what they believed. So they believed that the Messiah was coming. In other words, they had faith. What's faith? Faith is believing that God is God. Faith is believing that God is coming. We like to say it like this. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. That's faith in the Messiah. They believed this. They believed that when the Messiah comes, they would often say that. Everything would be a mess. You guys ever feel like like life's a mess? Like the world's a mess? It's messy. This is what a Jewish person, a good Jewish faithful person would say. Yeah, but when the Messiah comes. When the Messiah comes. In other words, he's the answer. He's the hope. It's, they had hope. When the Messiah comes. And they believed this. Let's sing like the saved. Circumstances might be dire, but we'll sing like the saved. Because the Messiah is coming. And when the Messiah comes, let's sing like he's coming. Let's sing like we believe Everything will be better when he comes. That's what Psalm 98 represents. So Isaac Watts pens this. He says, joy to the world. The Lord is come, is come. The Messiah has come. Joy to the world. Let the earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. You notice in the, in the Psalm 98, it's talking about these people who are going to sing. Some of them have voices. Some of them are nature. The rivers roar. That's what he's saying. He's saying, let the heavens and the earth and nature sing. It's Psalm 98. He's just paraphrased it. It's an awesome psalm. He sees some irony in it. Psalm 98 is about this time when the, when, when, when the glory of God would come back to the city of God, his Bethlehem, the city of David. That's what they were expecting. But what happened on that morning when he really did come? But when the time came in your notes, and we jump forward to Luke, chapter 2, verse 4 and 7, he says, the Messiah is coming, and what's his, what's his advice? Prepare him room. Why does he say that? Because of Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. It says this, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth. The, governor in, in, in the, Roman, the Roman governor had, had decreed that everybody would go to their hometown and would, would be counted. They would, do a, they would do a taxation. They would, they, would, they would have everybody go and register and pay taxes. 
They would do that every so often. It was just a way of, 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 of organizing and, and ruling the, 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 this big thing called the Roman Empire. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her first son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. There was no room. When the Messiah showed up, when the, when the, when the, when the king that they'd been singing about for a thousand years showed up, there was no room at the inn. I don't know, when you guys read this Christmas story, you might have read it. There's some things in there that are like, Lucy, you got some explaining to do, right? I, I look at that, and I have some questions right away. First of all, I know this just because I've studied, but you might have been wondering, why, does Mary have to go with Joseph? Actually, that would have been rare. The, 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 the man of the house, the, 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 the oldest man of the house, would have been the one that was required to go to, the, to, to, to Bethlehem. Why would Joseph take Mary, being pregnant and all? It's like a long journey. Seems like a hardship for her. Why did he take her with him all this way? Why? He didn't have to. Here's what I think. The storyline is, Mary is probably just a young teenager. She's betrothed to Joseph, which means she was committed to get married to him, but they're not married yet. They, if in order for them to break a betrothal, there would have to be a divorce, but they weren't yet consummating the marriage, if you know what I mean, right? They weren't married. They weren't supposed to be married, okay? And now she's pregnant, right? And it's not Joseph's, right? This is way before Jerry Springer, but this has been a really good Jerry Springer episode is what I'm saying, right? She's betrothed, right? And, and, now sh and that's what he says, and she's with child, that would have been, if you're Jewish, you would have been like, scandal, okay? Why doesn't, why doesn't he allow Mary to just stay home? I don't know. This is just speculative. But perhaps he doesn't let her stay, he doesn't make her stay home because home's not a very friendly place for her. When, she's, when she finds out that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, what does she do for the first three months? She leaves. She goes to her aunt's house. John the Baptist's mother, right? And she spends three months. Now she would have come back. She would have been showing. There's no way to hide it. I doubt, I very, I, I very seriously doubt that Joseph and Mary were going around and, and, and feeling comfortable telling their friends this. Um, you know, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit did this, right? No one's going to believe them. They're not telling this to anybody. It's just, it is what it is. They know the truth, but, but you know how people are. People gossip. People hurt your feelings. In that time, it was an honor-shame society. They would have been a huge shame to their family. This Jewish family would have shunned them. They wouldn't have wanted anything to do with them. Don't tell anyone you're one of ours. And so I think perhaps he brings her out, he brings her with him, because he doesn't want to leave her there all alone to have to face that. He brings her to Bethlehem. Now, when they get there, 
to this town. It says that the reason they're going to this particular town is because their whole family was going to that town. What in the world is going on when a pregnant woman shows up into a town where all of their relatives are and there's no room for them? First of all, the inn, the word the inn here, it's don't, don't think of it like, oh, this is like, you know, like the Ritz-Carlton. The inn was like the seedy motel. This is, a, this is a culture of hospitality. You would have, if you had relatives, they would have brought you into that. No, you don't stay in the inn. You come into our house. No one welcomes them. Their own family doesn't welcome them. They go to the inn. And even at the inn, there's no room. And so they go to where the manger is, the trough where you feed your animals. And it becomes where they lay their baby, where they give birth. This is a this is a this is a story that that's not fit for a king, you might say. And yet that's God's way. God brings forth the answer to Psalm 98 in this way and no one recognizes it. They don't get it. And there's no room for them when he comes. What does Isaac Watts say? Prepare him room. For you, for me, let's not make that mistake. Prepare him room. This Christmas season, you might say, when you hear this song, he's, he's telling us, prepare him room. Why, why do they not prepare him room? I just have a couple, of, a couple of suggestions. Probably some were too busy or distracted. You ever been too busy or distracted? Right? Some people were just so caught up in their own deal, their own life, and it's not that they didn't want to help. They just, were, they just didn't have any time to give. They didn't have any space to give. They didn't have anything to give. They didn't make room because they were too busy, too distracted. Some loved the world too much. Some loved the world too much. Some loved the world too much. They cared too much about what everyone else thought. You would think, one relative would say, I don't care what anyone thinks, your family. But no one did. Seemingly, no one did. They loved the world more than they loved this Jesus. And lastly, some couldn't see his beauty. They couldn't see his beauty. I would suggest... This is commentary on, on our Christmas season, maybe, on our life. Why don't we make room for Jesus? Some of us too busy, too distracted. Some of us love the world too much. Some of us just, we don't see the beauty. Or some of, some of those in the world whom he's come to save, they don't see his beauty. When I was, was kind of just processing this myself, because this hits me just like I think it's hitting you. It's like a somber, you know, like, Joy to the world. You guys don't look like you feel like that joy to the world, right? This is a pretty sombering song for us to consider. But as I was thinking of it and just processing it myself, you know what came into my mind? A piece of paper. A piece of paper, to me, it, it has some, some, some significance, right? If you have a piece of paper and, you're gonna, and your job was to either draw a picture or to write a letter or to write, or to, or to, or to write something, we kind of have been trained on how to do this, right? We kind of have these imaginary lines that go right here, right? And we know where to write. You don't start writing right here in the corner, right? 
you start writing like right about here and you, and you write in here. Or if you're going to draw a picture, it's awkward to draw right here, right? Unless you're doing a spider web, then it's cool. But, but other than that, we have like where we write stuff. And then what is this called? It's called the margins. What if your life is a piece of paper? What if your life is a piece of paper? Where does Jesus go? Does he, does he even, is there no room on the paper? Some of our lives, if you're like me, man, my life is so full. I feel like I drive around in four vehicles in my life and I never get out of first gear. That's how I describe my life to people. I'm like a pastor, fireman, I got teenagers, all these things, right? My life is so busy. Is there any room even in the margins? Is there only room in the margins for Jesus? Where does Jesus go on your life? Or is he interwoven through everything on the page? That's what I think Isaac Watts is geniusly saying. He's saying, yeah, joy to the world. Jesus has come. Is there room? Is there room in the inn? And then he, he, he moves on. He gives another piece in here. We're only going to look at two little pieces of this, uh, this first stanza today. You can imagine. We could, go, we could do a 10-week series, honestly, on this song. We're only going to do a three-week series. There's three main stanzas that are left. He actually wrote four. We'll look at one, uh, another one. But, but there's three that are left in the songs that we sing. But what about now he leaves us with? If they were expecting this great king to come back in the city of David and when he showed up there was no room for him and then he leaves this this other piece he says joy to the world the Lord has come let earth receive her king he's he's he's, he's bringing up another piece of this story from the from the book of John John 1 9 through 12 John 1 9 through 12 says this it says it says the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's how, Jesus, that's how John describes Jesus' coming, his birth. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. They didn't receive him, they didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right be to become children of God. Isaac Watts is saying, prepare him room. Remember the Luke story. Receive him. Remember the John story. Re don't make that mistake. Receive him. Jesus is the true light in this story, which gives light to everyone. In this culture, enlightenment was a really big deal. This isn't in the dark ages. This is a time of, in, well, in there, they would have thought of it as a very progressive time, a time of enlightenment. If you look, if you study, like, the, the Roman Empire, they thought that they were, like, like, so progressive, right? And it was coming off the heels of who? Alexander the Great was the Greek uh, uh, emperor who, who took over pretty much all of the known world, right? When Alexander the Great, when, he, when his whole program, if you guys remember in history class, what did Alexander the Great, what was, the, what was he trying to do to the world? He was trying to Hellenize the world. Helen was another word for Greek. He was trying to make the whole world Greek. Why was he doing that? 
because he believed that everyone who was in Greek was a barbarian. That's the word he would use. You're a barbarian. You're not enlightened. I would, they, they would come and they would, they would enlighten you with the Greek culture. They would bring their art. They would bring their philosophy. They would bring their, their culture. And they would, they would make you better. They would make you Greek. They would make you right is the way they would look at it. They would enlighten you. Everyone else is wrong. We're right. We're going to help out the world. We're going to bring this. We're going to usher in the Savior of the world. We're going we're to Hellenize. That's the way they thought. The Jews. The Jews believed they were God's chosen people. And everyone else was a Gentile. They didn't associate with Gentiles. Jesus rebuked them for that. They shunned even the Samaritans. They shunned everybody who wasn't like them. The Jews had this like, we're the enlightened ones and everyone else is not. Right? And then they had this name called the Scythians. That was for the people who didn't even fit in them. It was like the Iranian nomads was the real area, but it kind of was generic for, for outsiders, foreigners. And we're enlightened. Everyone believed we're in the enlightened ones and everyone else is like, whatever. They don't get it. We're enlightened. Enlightenment was a huge deal to the original reader here. Enlightenment. What does John say? The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is a huge statement. This is a revolutionary statement that he's making. When Jesus shows up, he's the true light of the world. Paul later will, will, will share it like this in Galatians 3.28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, right? What do the Jewish people think? Okay, we're the enlightened ones, no, or Greek. He says, circumcised, or no, I'm sorry. He says, Jew or Greek, there's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In this Jesus, that's what makes you enlightened. In this Jesus, you're all one. This Jesus is central to what it means to be enlightened. Jesus is the true light of the world. Paul later will tell the Colossians like this. In Colossians 3.11, he goes, Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, for Christ is all and in all. In other words, all these people that you think are enlightened, they all need Jesus. When Jesus showed up, he's the true light. Jesus is the true light is a humongous statement. And then it says, on the, on, 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 on the piggyback of this, then everyone needs Jesus. Jesus the fact that the light came into the world, the Jews would have received that. Okay, when the Messiah comes, he'll give light to us. And then everyone else can follow us and kind of get along in the party that revolves around us. And Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came for everybody. Everyone was equal. The equality included this, though. Everyone equally has one thing in common. They all need Jesus. And that's where it gets offensive to some. Everyone needs this Jesus. Jesus has come into the world. Everyone needs this Jesus. There's, a, there's the third stanza in this song that Isaac Watts wrote, and nobody sings it anymore. Even Mariah Carey. I know. She, in her version, she didn't even sing it. Why? 
Let me read it to you. The third stanza of Joy to the World in its original writing is like this. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. I guess they don't want to talk about this idea of the curse during Christmas. But you don't understand the gift of salvation that comes unless you understand the curse. You don't understand the need for this Jesus that everybody has. It's not great news. There is no joy to the world unless you realize the real condition that you're in. There's this curse, this sin. And Jesus has come into the world. He's going to die on a cross, become the curse. Take all of the punishment of that curse and make a way for you to have a righteousness that's far beyond anything that you could do on your own. Everyone needs this Jesus. And the good news is he's available to all. Jesus doesn't exclude anyone. And he doesn't pardon anyone apart from the cross. He pardons all who come the cross for salvation we'll have the worship team come back up so everyone needs jesus jesus comes into the world and his own people they don't receive him but to all who do receive him he gives the right to become what the children of god the big question for this morning is this, two questions, in your life, in your Christmas season, on your page, is there room for this Jesus? Is there room for this Jesus? Do you understand the need, the second question, do you understand the need, and have you received him with joy? Have you received this Jesus with joy. As we get into worship, I want to give you a couple of thoughts for a worship response. One, let's Psalm 98. Let's sing like the saved. Let's make a joyful noise to this Jesus who has come. Perhaps, perhaps you're hitting me, this is hitting you like it hit me this week. And you're realizing, man, how often do I not make room? for this Jesus in every space of my life? Is there room for Jesus? This morning is a great time to just offer yourself and say, Jesus, Jesus, you can have all of me. There's room. I'm making room. If, I, if, if there's things that I need to get rid of, I'm getting rid of them. I'm making room for you, Jesus. If you need to receive him, receive him. If you just need to struggle, struggle, invite them into your struggle. If you need prayer, there's going to be people uh, that are, are, are ready to pray for you up by the Christmas tree. That uh, the, I think the kids decorated it because all the, all the decorations are at the bottom. So <laughs> I, just no, I just noticed that. Um, there's going to be people that want to pray for you by the, the heavily bottom decorated Christmas tree. 
But here's what I want you guys to know. We want this to be a safe place. We want this to be a place where we can passionately point people to Jesus. We want this to be a place where we realize everyone matters. We want this to be a place where we realize everyone needs Jesus. I realize that that could be offensive, but you really do need Jesus, so I don't feel bad about telling you. You really do. I need Jesus so bad. And you need Jesus so bad. And the beautiful thing is he's right here saying, I'm here. I came. I want you too. What's so offensive about it? I don't get the offense of that. He wants you. Do you want him? Now's the time to respond.